Parum Chavrati. Uh, he uh, is a very great addition to the conference. Uh, he has been working among the Todas. Uh, he is going to share uh, the environmentalist uh, activities uh, in the Toda region. Uh, this is a tribe in the Nilgiris, in the Ubi area, uh, uh, most uh, studied by anthropologists uh, uh, in this community. Uh, but the environmentalist activities, particularly from an Indic perspective, have not been covered by those anthropological reports. Mostly they cover the uh, polyandry or other uh, cultural features of the community, but uh, Tarun Chabraji is going to speak about uh, environmentalist activities in the region. Tarun Chabraji, over to you. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'm a dentist by profession who's been working with the Todas for almost three decades now. And uh, I would like to speak to you about how these indigenous Toda people, the indigenous people of the Nilgiri Hills of South India have treated their environment as a sacred worshiped entity for thousands of years. In a traditional Toda mind, when he looks at his physical environment, he doesn't treat it as a series of natural sites, but he looks at a hill as a board of a deity whose sacred uh, uh, name he would have chanted in the prayers. Similarly, when he looks at a rock or a rock formation, a, a water body or a pool, he looks at them as divine manifestations of his sacred world. Uh, the total relationship with his environment and nature quite expectedly begins right from birth when the neonate is a silent spectator to the elaborate ceremonies performed by his or her mother that entail the use of a number of plant species uh, to be used. At the culmination of these birth ceremonies, somebody cuts an umbrella of the Nilgiri holly and holds it over the mother and the newborn child who's inside a cloak and they go back in procession to their dwelling places. This is to protect them from the evil influence of a star. So a number of plants are used right from the birth ceremonies, the, the relationship with nature begins. And from the time of the birth ceremonies up till the naming ceremony that takes place after two months, the child's face is never kept uncovered outdoors. And when this naming ceremony takes place, just at the crack of dawn, a proud grandfather uncovers the child's face and announces his name and also points out the rising sun, as you can see here, the temple lamp inside the temple. He also points out the sacred uh, birds, the buffaloes, the temples, the water bodies, all the elements of nature are pointed out to the child on the day of the naming ceremony. And how do these people get their names? They get their names from the sacred prayer words of the sacred landmarks in the vicinity. For example, the grandfather who's uncovering the child's face here, his father was known as Moji after a sacred uh, uh, pool in the vicinity known as Moji Care. So this is how the Toda people get their names and their relationship with nature. Now in, in ancient times, the, the, there were three major connections with nature. In the uh, most ancient times, the gods and goddesses who were living amongst the Todas, they decided to take residence in certain 34 peaks. And from the time that they took residence in these 34 peaks, the Todas have always believed them to be the abodes of these deities. So even today, some of these deity hills, the Toda elders will not even point their finger. It's sacrilege to even point your finger to indicate the location of these deity hills. They're so sacred. So this is one of these hills. It's, it's known as the abode of God Quaten in Toda. But the Kurumbas who live in the foothills in Atapadi, uh, they believe it to be Lord Shiva's abode. So once a year, 
during mahashivaratri the kurumbas organize a pilgrimage taking the ottoda along with them up to this pinnacle peak on mahashivaratri and this maleshwar mala as it's known in in kerala is a very well known peak and they light a fire on top of that so these are common uh, deity hills between different indigenous groups and this is the same uh, maleshwar mala or kottayam hill in latapadi area which is just on the southwestern slopes of the nilgiris actually so this is a deity hill of the todas like this there are 34 hills which are deity hills this is another deity hill known as dekheni and there are also scores of other hills which are lesser sacred hills which means they are not sacred to all the 15 toda clans but to uh, very sacred to one of the clans or two of the clans so there are scores of other uh, sacred hills so there are number of hills like that which are very sacred this is another deity hill of the uh, todas you can see the twin peak where the sun is setting so spectacularly this is known as kashgol hill in in toda but it's better known by the british name as nilgiri peak and this uh, deity hill of the todas kashgol is believed to be one of the places where the monsoon sets in uh, within a few weeks the monsoon is going to set in and the todas believe that the first mist of the monsoon they perambulate around this twin peak like you perambulate around a sacred shrine and after they perambulate around the shrine they go to another deity hill which is known in another part of the nilgiris and the sacred mist of the monsoon perambulate around this uh, sacred hill which is known as kontha and toda another deity hill and the toda belief and the observation in fact is that right through the 3 to 4 months of the monsoon the mists never escape or rise above these hills which means that they are always covered and shrouded by these mists and even today when the todas suddenly see one of these two hills exposed they understand that there's some global climate change and they comment about it so this is the ancient most the first connection with nature of the todas began with the when their gods and goddesses took abode in the sacred hills the second major connection began when the preeminent goddess dekishi allotted them into 15 clans and each clan was allotted sacred sites which are which constitute the prayers of of each of the 15 clans so these are the sacred sites which may be the sacred slopes the pools the swamps the wetlands the trees the leaves etc and when these are enumerated along with the hills you have several thousand physical features which are sacred which means they are sacred and that's where they are protected and conserved so this is the second major connection with nature that began in ancient times uh, of the toda people with their sacred environment for example these rocks that you see here around the toda hamlet are have sacred prayer words and i'll also tell you that this hamlet that you see here just a, a, aside you know many years back we were searching for the lost orchid of the nilgiris it was known as leperes biloba and it is such a uh, rare orchid nobody had seen it for a long long time it was supposed to be a lost orchid that's what it was called and when we finally found this orchid we found it at this toda hamlet so the, some of them are so pristine and preserved so these are rocks that are uh, protected i'll be talking more about that the third major connection with nature of the toda people began when goddess dekishi's father en decided to set up an afterworld for his spirits to reside in so he told his daughter dekishi you look after this world i'll set up the afterworld amanod so the story goes that he went and he said bye to everybody and he took a long and arduous route and he crossed about 15 landmarks crossed uh, and and then he set up the afterworld and from where he ordained that all my people henceforth who have completed all their rites of passage that means intalia using all the different uh, species of plants to be used for the rite of passage their spirits after their funeral time will take the same journey crossing the same 15 landmarks to the afterworld and lo and behold the afterworld is still uh, located in the toda area you know it's not located in another world above you can physically still see it and what's amazing when we started studying the story was that all the 15 landmarks that a uh, departing spirit is supposed to 
cross en route to the afterworld all these mythical landmarks can be seen as actual physical sites en route for example the place where the spirit is supposed to ascend stone steps you can see here actually you, there are actual natural stone steps in the middle of a rock where he supposed to he or she is supposed to ascend this the stone steps so all these physical uh, mythical sites can be seen as physical sites on the route to the afterworld like the stone steps you see here the todas never knew how to cut rock the natural formation and you can see the toda man going up the rock i'll give you one more example of these 15 landmarks when the departing spirit comes to the midway point between this world and the afterworld he comes to this uh, rock known as uh, kosar it's a, a large rock of charnokite that you see here and in the center of this rock you can see a band you know like a tennis court band like running right across the center of this band and at this point the uh, departing spirit performs a ritual that was performed at his or her funeral and with a relative who has come from the afterworld to receive to receive that afternoon cloth he hands over the afternoon cloth to the relative who has come from the afterworld and then he crosses this natural band and begins the second half of the journey so like that uh, all this all the sites can be seen on the field and this established the third a uh, uh, relationship with the environment for the todas because the god and said that if you, you follow all your ceremonies of rites of passage from birth to death ceremonies using all the 100 species of plants that are required then your spirits will journey to the afterworld uh, where they will live peacefully there's no heaven or sin or hell or anything like that for the toda people so this is the third major relationship with nature that binds them to uh, to, to 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 nature when a toda person uh you know lo looks at his physical environment he doesn't register it as a series of uh natural sites when he looks at a hill he sees it as a board of a deity whose name he would have often chanted in the prayers when he looks at a rock or a rock formation a pool uh, or a bot or water he looks at them as divine manifestations of his sacred world that's how he looks at nature so this is the hill from where the god en rules the afterworld uh it's known as temushkul just remember this hill because i'll be talking about a plant that we recently named we found a rare species of a new species of plant and we named it after this hill we found it here so this is the hill known as temushkul and uh the the water bodies also just like the hills the major rivers of the nilgiris the mukutti paikar and the avalanche what the todas call as the kolikin and the kinateli are deities just like the hills and they treated as gods and goddesses and before these two rivers were dammed they were separate crossing points for the for the lay lay people and separate for the priests and always to be crossed on a premise of purity this is a sacred crossing point on the avalanche river uh, known as tevajiva and this is a sacred crossing point on the paikara river and they were always to be crossed on a point of purity now although the toda religion and their culture and everything is completely pagan and different Uh, there are some uh, overlapping for example these crossing points of these sacred rivers with so many rules and regulations now when we go on a pilgrimage in india we still call it as a tirth yatra but uh, not everybody may know that a tirth yatra initially was meant a crossing of a sacred river in ancient india and then it became a crossing a, a physical crossing became a spiritual crossing so we have these uh, overlapping factors between pagan religions like uh, todas and the vedic times from uh, from the time they've been here in the nilgiris for thousands of years and then see here after damming this looks like a pretty picture but the wetlands have been uh, inundated the river has been dammed so it has it is a uh, actually against the ecosystem again we have locally sacred waters now just imagine every small toda hamlet of just 20 to 30 people has several streams 
for example, there will be a stream from where a person who is going to become a dairyman priest undergoes the elaborate ordination ceremonies using myriad species of thorny plants that you see you, him using here. He has to collect all these uh, thorny plants and do these rituals for several days. And then he becomes a dairyman priest. And then once he becomes a dairyman priest, there's a separate stream from which only he can draw water for his cooking and dairying uh, processes. For the salt ceremonies I'll be showing you, there is a separate stream. For guests to bathe and to cook, there are separate streams. Imagine every little, and there's a domestic stream, of course. So every little Toda hamlet of some sanctity has a number of uh, water sources. For that, they have to keep their uh, nature protected, right? These are some of the sacred waters of the Todas. Some of them are related to the gods and goddesses. We saw the hill of the god Kwaten. This is the pool where he met the goddess Tekiji. So uh, this is how they relate to their water sources by treating them as sacred, mentioning them in the thing, and also protecting the hydro, uh, hydrology preserving species. They know which are the plants that preserve the hydrology. So they preserve those species along the water bodies. Uh, the wetlands of the Nilgiris, unfortunately, as you saw earlier, they've been dammed, the rivers, uh, and uh, for example, the grass that is used here to match their traditional structures, that is found only in the wetlands of the Western Nilgiris, nowhere else in the world. It's known as Ediocrisis Rangachara. Now, the total relationship with the Shola forests, which are sometimes referred to as living fossils, because they're thought to date back to the time of Gondwana land, tens of millions of years ago, they're, they're referred to as living fossils, can be either sacred or utilitarian. You can see they're bringing up cane to build their temples. This is how a regular uh, Shola grassland looks. And even today, a Toda can tell you that uh, any, uh, uh, the absence of any climax species found in these areas indicates a degradation in the vitality and health of these uh, climax ecosystems. Now, around every Toda hamlet, as we saw earlier, there are several rocks that are so sacred that they have sacred prayer chant words. And also rituals are performed by the priest, as you can see what he's doing there. These are sacred rocks. There are other rocks that are related to mythological stories. The one that you see on the right, if there's another group who came more recently to the Nilgiris known as the Badagas. They came from the Mysore area. And uh, this story relates to the Badaga couple who went walking a few centuries ago to the Mysore temple in Anjangur, but they didn't observe the rules of abstinence. So when they came back, the man here, the taller man wanted to have one last look at the Nanjangur temple, whereas his wife wanted to have her, the look at her village that she had left for some days now. And because they were a state of, state of impurity, they became petrified and turned to stone. And on the left side, what you see here, around most Toda hamlets, after a process of rethatching the temple, you'll have these huge oval rocks. And these young teenage boys will lift these immense rocks onto their left shoulder as a prowess of strength. So these are sacred rocks. These are sacred prehistoric shrines, um, which again, the rocks are related to. These are sacred honey gathering sequences, prehistoric uh, rock art around a Toda hamlet sanctified. Uh, now, like this conical temple that you see here, there are certain Toda temples of such exceptional sanctity that the entire ecosystem, the Shola, grassland, uh, the water bodies, wetland, everything is treated as inviolate. And it's because of this that the Todas have been able to uh, protect their ecosystem. And uh, many of these places have their own uh, microclimate, if you see. Now, the Toda uh, buffaloes, just like their masters, are endemic to the Nilgiris. They're not found anywhere else. And presumably, because the Todas have been here for so many centuries, a millennia, in fact, the buffaloes that they brought have evolved into a distinct breed of the Asiatic water buffalo, Bobalis Bobalis. And the goddess Tekiji separated them into the sacred buffaloes and the uh, secular buffaloes that can be milked for domestic use. 
the, the, the sacred buffaloes are of six different grades. Now, the Toda temples are basically dairies of six different hierarchical grades from the lowest to the highest. And each of these grades of temple, uh, dairy temples has an associated grade of temple buffalo from which, which can be milked only by the, uh, the, the, grade, uh, the corresponding grade of dairyman priest. And into this mundane process of daring, the Todas have incorporated a mind-boggling array of rituals, which you can, you can read my book, The Toda Landscape, and you'll understand how much of this uh, buffalo cult ritualization that they've done uh, uh, over the millennia, the Toda people. So these buffaloes are very important because their cultural sustenance and, and their, uh, their economy revolves around their distinct breed of uh, this buffalo. It's found nowhere else in the world. Now, the Todas are one of the very rare vegetarian uh, indigenous people in the world. And uh, they're also non-martial people, non-hunting. So their relationship with their fauna should be quite different and unique. For example, even today, if a resident tiger attacks the sacred buffaloes around a temple, the Toda clansmen will haul up the priest and say, you have done some transgression of the dairy temple rules. And that is why the protector, that is the tiger, has become the aggressor. So they introspect. That's how they relate to their fauna, since they're vegetarian and they're non-martial. And the Toda relationship uh, with their animals and birds is such that if a male and female of a certain uh, species looks different, they'll have a different name for them. Uh, for example, the white bush chat, the male and female look different. This is the female that you see here on the screen. And this is known as Kupeji. And the male is black and white. It looks at, it's known as Karpils. And this is treated as one of the most intelligent birds by the Toda people. And even today, the Todas believe that if there is a dairyman priest, he's getting tired of doing his rituals in a remote place, he takes a shortcut. The belief is that when he goes to the water body to fetch water, if this bird flutters in his pathway, he'll remember the bedtime stories related to him by his grandpa, and he will retreat and not do the transgression. So this is how they relate to their fauna. This is Anil Kritar. Their relationship with flora is far more intimate. The Todas have used the flowering cycles of plants not only to indicate the different seasons of the year, but also the different stages of seasons of the year. And like we mentioned, all the lifetime ceremonies, we already saw the birth ceremony, this is the pregnancy ceremony taking place in the seventh month of pregnancy in the pitch darkness of the new moon night. So a number of plant species, about eight plant species are used in this uh, ritual. And here what you see in your screen is these sticks of rhododendron. Only rhododendron has to be collected. And this represents a Kurumba couple, another tribe which is found on the slopes of the Nilgiris, who have been uh, you know, feared by the Todas for their sorcery. So she's actually just cooked some food and she's calling out to the Kurumba couple to appease their spirits. So this is a pregnancy ceremony. Again, pregnancy ceremony. The special bamboo reed has been collected. Water has been collected from a different source and poured from one bamboo to another. And this sanctified water, since it's been poured over the calf, the to drink. So these are uh, uh, pregnancy rites. So all these plants have to be present in the pitch darkness. They have to go and collect eight species of plants. That means they have to have all these around each and every Toda hamlet. And then you have the paternity rites that uh, when the man, the, the, the groom who's saying that I will be the protector of the child to be born in two months time, a number of plant species are used. What you see here is that he has gone into the forest, collected Sephora Glocka only and fashioned an imitation bow and arrow and given it to his wife. And each one of the 15 clans of the Todas has a specific prayer word for this bow and arrow, which is given to them. So these are the paternity rites. Again, specified plant produce. Again, and there are certain kinds of flora which are to be used only, not for mundane purposes, but only for sacred processes. Like this girl is doing a ritual here. Now the Todas are recognized as architects par excellence among the first societies of the world. All over the world, they've been recognized. And their barrel water structures are said to have been inspired by the miniature rainbows that you see here. Tiny little rainbows. You can see here the barrel water structures. 
Only specific species of bamboos, cane, thatch, and tree poles are used. Not a single uh, nail is used here. And the totals have recognized the property. They have understood which bamboo has the best tensile strength, which thatch grass has the best properties, et cetera. And not a single nail is used. These structures can last for half a century, only require, uh, requiring periodic rethatching. The second kind of Toda architectural structure are the conical temples. And you can see here, the marbles of ancient uh, construction can last for 70, 80 years, only requiring periodic rethatching. And uh, you can see not a single nail is used here. And you know, uh, most of us have uh, read and heard that the South Indian temples, Vimana or Gopuram, has been inspired from the North Indian temples. But there has been a hypothesis where people have quoted the Toda conical temples as being the uh, local inspiration for the South Indian temples, Vibana or Koparam. Uh, like I said, the Todas have used the flowering cycles of plants, not only to denote the seasons of the year, but also the different stages of the seasons of the year. This plant that you see here in Toda translates as the monsoon season flower, because when it flowers in, in July, it indicates the peak of the southwesterly monsoon. And when this plant flowers, the Nilgiri lily, a very handsome plant, when it flowers by the end of August, the Toda mind, the Toda elder knows that the monsoon has entered its last phase. And when this, what you see here, the Nilgiri champak, Mikalya Nilgarika, starts to mass flower in the Sholas, the Toda elder will tell you in September, don't worry, the monsoon is going to end in a few days time. And lo and behold, it's a very accurate in indicator of the impending cessation of the southwesterly monsoon. And they also use as climatic uh, indicators. For example, between the two monsoons, you have a kind of a weather pattern known as Kashtk. And during this part of the, between these two monsoons, the, there's a planetary body visible in the night sky known as Kashtk. The, the weather pattern or the climatic pattern is known as Kashtk. And there is a herb that is mass flowering all over the grasslands, which is also has the identical name. So they related the, uh, the weather patterns to, uh, to planetary bodies and to plants. Uh, as indicators of, uh, of a person's age and wisdom. We have several species of strobilanthus, uh, one of which is the Kurunji, and the Todas have, unlike the botanists who have only recognized the 12-year flowering one that you see here, strobilanthus kuntianus, uh, which flowers once in 12 years and covers the entire hillsides blue, the Todas recognize another one known as Pufkut, which flowers once in 18 years, and once in the past when the, when the environment was totally untouched, people used to use this to indicate a person's age and wisdom. Uh, as indicators of, uh, so the Todas know, you know, if you go into some of the ancient Toda songs, they relate how, when certain plants are flowering, what will be the pollinators that will visit them, and what will be the honey and the, and the fruits that will emerge after that. And incidentally, this is the carpenter bee that you see here. And many, many years ago, my Toda friend, uh, Kotard Kutten, uh, who Michelle knows well, uh, this, uh, this uh, friend told me about how this carpenter bee uses another insect to seal up its hives. And he also spoke about other insects, how they use other insects to do their work for them. And I just laughed it off and said, you know, this is just some myth from the tribal people, even though I was so close to the donors, I just laughed it off. But many years later, I read this paper by Edward O. Wilson, you know, the person who, one of the people who coined the term biodiversity, Edward O. Wilson, and where he wrote about a paper on slavery in ants. And then when I read this on slavery in ants, I realized that the traditional ecological knowledge of people like the Todas, when they talk about slavery in insects, they've known this for thousands of years earlier. Now, as inspiration for ideas, now you can see the Toda dairyman priest holding the cane milk churning stick here. According to the Toda legend, this cane milk churning stick, which is used in the temples and in the houses, has been modeled or inspired by the uh, flowers of a plant known as kaful or Seriopigia pusilla. And you see here on the left, lo and behold, this plant's flower looks just like a miniature plant uh, milk churning stick. So as inspiration for ideas, 
as indicators of time, I have this flowering in my house uh, planted. This is the six o'clock flower. So crawl because it flowers at 6.15 every evening, irrespective of weather condition. There's also a five o'clock flower. So indicators of the time as indicators of human reaction. Now, the gentian pedicillata grows in the grasslands. And the total name of this plant is Arkilpoof, which translates as the worry flower. Why is it called the worry flower? Because if you pluck this plant and hold it by the stem, if you worry it, the petals will close. And it's so accurate. I've been uh, experimenting for over 20, 25 years with this thing. If you're slightly worried, it'll take a few minutes to close the petals. You're not, you're holding it by the stem. If you're very anxious, it'll close in a flash. And if you happen to be one of the carefree type, don't close it. It's very, very accurate. As indicators of sacred temple species, after dairy temple has been rebuilt by late orders, the priest has to take the sacred dairy implements inside. And how do, he purifies this temple using a bark of a tree known as Melosmia simplicifolia. And this bark, which he uses to purify the temple, can only be handled by a Toda dairyman priest. A lay Toda is not supposed to touch the bark of this. So these are sacred species given sancti uh, sanctity, and that's how they've been protected. Because basically, uh, what is essential and sacred is going to be protected. Again, we, we, we saw the, about the priestly ordination at the water body and the, and the thorny plants. Again, uh, priestly ordination, many of these plant species which are used in priestly ordination are are not to be used for mundane purposes. Uh, as in mass flowering indicates what kind of honey will result and what kind of wild fruits will result. As indicators of utilitarian properties, you can see the, the Toda man drinking from special leaf cups. You're only supposed to drink ceremonial buttermilk and butter from these ceremonial leaf cups and making fire. Incidentally, these, this is a, a wood of a tree known as Litsia whiteana. And even today, whether it's lighting the uh, lamp in the temple or the funeral pyre, fire has to be made by friction only by twirling the sticks of Litsia whiteana. Fire can never be made for any total ritual in any other manner. So uh, utilitarian properties. Endemic properties, these two balsams, uh, which are found in the Nilgiris, uh, believe it or not, have their closest relative in distant Africa, thus lending credence to the Gondwana land origin theory. Endemic plant species, this is a, uh, uh, these are found nowhere else in the world. This is a orchid known as Dysparus nilgirins. And these are very rare balsams found only in few valleys of the nilgiris and nowhere else known as impatient nilgirica and impatient densena. This took us four years to relocate the species. And new species, now many years ago, just to give you an example of the Toda traditional ecological knowledge, uh, you know, we only have this crimson or red rhododendron in, in certain parts of uh, the Western Ghats, the highest reaches. And the Toda friend, Kotrat Kutlin, would tell me, you know, we have these white ones. So I said, oh, come on. There's no white ones. Never been documented in South India, only in the Himalayas. Until I actually came across these white rhododendron, and that was the first official record of this. So we have to believe that Toda uh, traditional ecological knowledge. Now, this is a new balsam species that we discovered and described uh, uh, quite recently. And I was very happy to name it as Impatience Temush Kulnai, after the peak you saw earlier, the peak from where the god Ayn rules the afterworld. It was found on the slopes of that, so called impatient Temushkulnai. Now, how the Todas manage the eco, uh, ecosystem? Direct methods. Now, until a few decades ago, to herald the onset of winter, the Toda priest would use the same fire sticks by friction and ceremonially set fire to the grassland at the base of certain deity hills. And this was not only a ritual, but it also served a very uh, useful system of ecosystem management since these grasslands need to be burned. Now this has been proscribed or stopped by the forest department and the ecology is in disarray because we don't listen to our own indigenous knowledge. But when the same use of firing the firing of the grasslands is now uh, coming, the reports are coming from Yellowstone National Park in America. Now our people are waking up and saying, oh, why don't we start firing the grassland? But we don't want to listen to our own uh, indigenous knowledge. 
so the TODAST continued to uh, observe indirect methods of ecosystem management. This is how the TODA spray, see how the TODA priest is praying by one hand like this and holding the left hand on his elbow. They pray, they pray by different ways. Uh, sorry. One of the ways the TODA spray is that they, in the different four seasons of the year, they conduct the salt pouring ceremonies, as you see here, for the sacred buffalo herds. It's a very sacred ritual. It also provides free uh, you know, salt to the buffaloes, but a failure to perform this, for example, a failure to perform the salt ceremony for the sacred buffaloes at this part of the year is a deemed for, to be an invitation in the traditional eco, uh, Toda mind for ecological disaster, which means if you don't perform this now, the Todas will believe that the impending monsoon will fail. The monsoon fail, there'll be less pasture uh, for the buffaloes, there'll be less milk, there'll be you know, less fruit and everything else. The whole ecology will get disturbed. So these are the ways that they still pray and to and do their uh, they keep their ecosystem flourishing. The indirect methods. Another indirect method is they go to the deity hills or contre. We saw where the monsoon sets in. Uh, the priest and the people go up once a year to this contre deity hill and they pray for ecosystem and ecological well-being and also general well-being. So these are the ways indirect methods by how they still manage their ecosystem even today. Now the Todas, like I mentioned, are one of the very few indigenous people in the whole world who have remained generally vegetarian out of choice. As you know, most indigenous people are non-vegetarian. So it, it, gives, it brings up a completely different focus to their, uh, and their outlook. So this is some of the festive food, uh, you know, grains cooked in uh, milk uh, with the honey and served with the ghee there. The Toda embroidery is also a very unique art and our NGO that uh, we applied for the geographical indication or GI patent for this ancient art form from the government of India and we got it. And most of these uh, uh, traditional embroidery motifs are inspired by nature. This is the honeycomb pattern. Similarly, you have uh, motifs inspired by butterflies, by plants and by hills and valleys and etc. So the total ecological footprint is, is very minimal. It, it, it's very minimal, their, their ecological footprint. And their uh, traditional structures that we spoke, the barrel vaulted and these, they act as natural uh, you know, windbreakers. They sequester the carbon. So the ecological footprint is very thing. And the Todas, you know, they're, they're also oral poets par excellence. What you see here, now when they have a Toda fest, fest, festival, there will be one man, there will be one man who will be a master composer, who will be composing impromptu in couplets and as he composes in couplets, uh, which rhyme with one another, he makes sure that uh, the words, because there are three footwork movements uh, in the dance that they do, each word will be in three syllabic units to allow the three footwork movements, which means if the word is naturally of two uh, syllables, it'll, he'll put a vowel to stretch it into three, word, uh, three syllables, and if it's a four syllables, he'll condense it into three. So this, although it's a different way, so every Toda song is composed impromptu, and it's a form of oral poetry. And it's, a, it's, it's been described as a combination of Homeric and Vedic uh, poetry. And you know, in Vedic time also, you have these kind of trimetering and things like that. So there's a lot of overlap between uh, these systems and the Vedic systems and all that. Um, so I think with that, I've come to the end of my presentation. I, I'd be happy to take any questions. Wow, <laughs> Tarun, that was, that was just uh, fantastic. It's just mind blowing. I mean, you you seem to have spent like what thirty years on this now researching. Thirty years. Yeah. Wow, this has become a part of your life. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, can you just share with us uh, how you, I mean, how did this happen? And how did this happen and stay with you for so long? Personally, what kind of a personal motivations did you have? What, what transformation it had on you? Because this is just one lifetime's effort that we are seeing. And it's just uh, fascinating. Uh, thank you. Uh, basically, I, I think that, uh, you know, when I was out of college in my uh, mid thirties, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. When I was uh, out of uh, college, I was in my mid twenties, sorry. Uh, I came up, I went to this library looking for some profound books on Indian philosophy. And then I saw this book, uh, two volumes of this book called The Todas by WHR Rivers, who had come about over a hundred years earlier and written, spent five months in the Nilgiris and brought out this magnum opus of his called The Todas. And I said, what can there be on The Todas? I mean, I've grown up here. And uh, I was ignorant like most other Nilgiri people. And I took those books home. And every day as a young person, I would come back from my clinic uh, doing dentistry and wanting to read this, these rituals and, and find out what's, re what's remaining. Even then, it was 90 years since Rivers had come, even those days. And uh, very soon, I started going out with them. And then I realized that uh, I wanted to do something. The culture was collapsing. And I realized that I didn't need a PhD. And uh, you know, I didn't uh, you know, want to become a professor or anything. So I wanted to do something for this culture to survive. So we started the Stoda Nalvalva Sangam in 1992. And it still functions. And uh, we started doing projects to try and revive their uh, culture. And I'm still the only non-TODA member of this organization. And the last, like I said, we applied and got the geographical indication patent for, the, for their embroidery. And you know, we have many kinds of uh, activities uh, for them. And then I have written many, many uh, you know, articles, 70, 80 papers all over conferencing. And then my book came out in 2015. It's called The TODA Landscape. And uh, it's published under the Harvard Oriental Series, Volume 79. People who are uh, interested can read that. It's also uh, the Indian publisher is Orient Black Swan in Hyderabad. And uh, so uh, fortunately, that has reached all over the world. But uh, I still I have not studied dentistry or botany or ecology. I, I run another NGO called the Ed School in Art Botanical Refuge. And we are doing botanical studies, like I mentioned. And but we are also doing ecological restoration where we are trying to uh, revive these uh, degraded Shola grassland landscapes using traditional ecological knowledge of the Todas. So this is uh, on the side, yeah. A couple of comments that I saw, and I was also uh, wondering, because uh, I, I, like I mentioned to you, we have some activity there. And um, just wondering, how did, how did the missionaries not get to them? And how did this culture still is alive today. Uh, what, what, what's been your experience uh, about the conversions and how, how did they survive? Uh, see, the, the Nilgiris has just, uh, you know, uh, we have just commemorated, so to speak, the bicentennial of the British moving in here. 1820, they came in here, the British. They entered the Nilgiris and, and they found, uh, you know, the climate to be such. So they, from Coimbatore, they shifted the part residence here to the Nilgiris and uh, from, the 18, from 1820. And in fact, there's a, there's a book which is coming out to commemorate that. I've also written an article, a chapter for that book, uh, which is under press. And uh, I must tell you that from day one, the, the missionaries went full speed to convert the Todans. And there was this father Metz uh, in the 1850s who, try, who spent uh, almost half a lifetime trying to do that. And at the end, in his memoirs, he, he says, in those days, in the 1850s, he says, it's easier to go to the North Pole or South Pole, I forget. Uh, then to reach the soul of a Toda. 
which means he kind of gave up. Uh, but then the missionaries never really gave up. In the, in the uh, early 1900s, there was a Catherine Ling, a missionary who came. And she was working in Tamil Nadu, so she knew, uh, you know, she had, uh, Tamil and other things. And uh, she came and she finally um, managed to convert these people. So now we have uh, uh, the Orthodox Todas who are about 1,450 people. And we have a small community of about uh, less than 300 Christian Todas uh, who, who are there. So, but uh, they were not fully, I mean, even uh, Catherine Ling, although she was partially successful, it was not fully successful, fortunately. So that, that's, how the, that's how the picture stands. And Catherine Ling was one of, she actually uh, uh, worked so hard that she's supposed to have uh, learned the Toda language. Now, I may be the only outsider who speaks Toda today. So she, if, if, a, if a Westerner like uh, Catherine Ling learned, uh, you know, Toda 100 years ago, can you imagine the effort that she put in there? So that's kind of effort. But uh, yeah, so we have a community of Christian Todas who are very progressive. I mean, uh, they were graduates and other people in the 1950s among the Christian Todas. Whereas now, only the Orthodox people are studying. And, uh, you know, when I started my work, very few Todas would come to me uh, and uh, to our office and say, you know, my child or my grandchild wants to study in school, college, can you help? It was mostly related to culture or health, other things. But now every second week, somebody's coming, my daughter, granddaughter wants to study. So, you know, I've passed the hat around and my friends are supporting so many people to become the first lawyer, the first few nurses, engineers, amongst the Toda people. And, uh, you know, I just pass the hat around. They say, oh, we'll sponsor one person. It's our pleasure. We'll do this like that. So this, uh, the Orthodox people are finally starting to study. But the Christian Todas were actually uh, uh, quite adept and going into studies even in the 1950s, 60s. So uh, that way they're quite progressive, but they've lost their culture because a small community like that, you're, you're not going to get a partner from the total community. So you're going to marry uh, from outside. So their children who call themselves now as uh, Todas are basically just using the schedule tribe, uh, you know, simple to get some benefits. Uh, you know, that's it. What do you, what do you think, uh, what are the, what do you think are the lessons that we should learn uh, from from uh, one thing is clearly I mean that's uh, I'm a big votary of that is is uh, seeing uh, uh, being devotional to nature and I think that's a very strong uh, theme that uh, that's coming across but uh, you, you, okay, what, what would you suggest for for non-Toras to learn from them before he gets connected let me uh, share my own uh... Experience of uh, studying Todas uh, from a Dravidian linguistic point of view. Uh, MNO is the one who worked a lot on the linguistic uh, point of view on the Todas uh, Dravidian linguistics. But uh, one important lesson, as Harikiranji was asking, that uh, one, most of the cultural anthropologists who worked in this area got was something what Bhutan tells you today. The index of development there is happiness index. Uh, the colonial uh, British time cultural anthropologists who visited uh, Thoda, Kota. Kota is the other tribe which lives just side by side with the same uh, occupation. Mostly these people are uh, dairy people, uh, cattle raiding people. And uh, the, when they worked on uh, these people, every time they returned with the uh, impression uh, that there is no way you can corrupt these people with the modern ideas of development, modern ideas of uh, progress. Uh, they, their happiness index uh, was very uh, big. And uh, uh, this is the message we give you, uh, the modern world. That's what the colonial cultural anthropologists were taking back from the Torah. 
Sir, uh, Tarun you are uh, back on. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back now. I don't know whether I'm sorry. I think my internet connection was severed. Yeah, the, the question from Harikiranji was what is the message from Todas to the uh, contemporary world, the other world? Uh, uh, message to? Uh, the world, uh, the non Toda world. Yeah, the message is you know, that the Todas, they, they, the value system is such that they, they treat their uh, environment, you know. Uh, as as a worshipped entity, as a sacred worshipped entity, you know it's nothing like a sacred grove here. Or there, their entire environment is a sacred worshipped entity, and that's and they have multitudinous ways in which they they relate to that in their day to day lives. You know, for example, a, a person it happens. I mean, it's factored into him every day because according to his Hamlet, there may be a flat rock on his pathway which he remembers that the god Quate had done some ritual there thousands of years ago. So he, uh, he doesn't step on those rocks. He goes over those rocks, goes to his house. He, no, he re realizes that there's a pathway which only the priest must use. So he must not use that pathway. So, you know, at every part, when he sees a sacred mountain, he has to salute that. So uh, at every stage in life, every day, a Toda person is bounded by certain uh, rules of his sacred environment. So there are multitudinous ways by which they can relate and treat it as a sacred uh, worship entity, the, the environment. Thank you. And without extracting much, you know, and we should not remember, we should remember that the Todas have only 1,400 people. So they, they learned how to, natural way of keeping in harmony with nature, they learned how to keep their population low. And because they needed hundreds of plants, you know, for their culture and other purposes like that. So I think this, this is a, a kind of a, a lesson for the world. Uh, you have, we have to realize the water systems. Millions of people in the plains below, in the Erode, Coimbatore, and all these districts, in and into Kerala, all those, all this water which is going from the uh, sacred waters of the Todas is all going and feeding millions of people on the plains below. If the Todas had not protected that ecosystem, where would this water have come from? Secondly, the very fact when the government of India in 1986 was told to select the first biosphere reserve in whole of India. Imagine you have Himalayan ecosystems, you have, uh, you know, the Northeastern places, you have so many kinds of ecosystems in India. The government selected the Nilgiri Biosphere Reserve of which the Toda Heartland is the core as the first biosphere reserve in all of India. And I think it is a fine tribute to these people and the biocultural values that they espouse, which I call, that they preserve this area, that their homeland was selected to be the first biosphere reserve in all of India in 1986. Thank you. Is their work uh, recognized uh, uh... Uh, world over the Torah's work because there are, there is now uh, a new uh, concept. Even the United Nations they're talking about every day should be an indigenous day. We should learn a lot from indigenous uh, 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 indigenous nations, indigenous environmentalism. Has uh, this example of Torah is known uh, across the world? Thanks to your work, thanks to your books. How how is it? Uh, is it recognized? Yeah, I, th I think just the fact, you know, that I'm, a, you know, I'm just an ordinary dentist. I might have, you know, written and spoken like I'm speaking today. But uh, the very fact that the Harvard uh, University Press, uh, a professor from the Harvard University approached me and said, you know, the Harvard Oriental series published from 1891, and my book is uh, volume 79. The very fact that the professor from there approached me and said, Tarun, when your book is ready, we'll publish it under the Harvard Oriental Seas because he already knew about the Todas. I mean, you know, he was sitting there, not because of anything else. He knew about the Todas and perhaps he knew about my work. 
and uh, he trusted me because I and said, okay, you know, when your manuscript is ready, send it across to me. We'll publish it. So that itself shows that even before I wrote by this uh, this thing. Great. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you. much, uh, Tarun Toda Chabraji. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank like you for that. inviting me. Thank you for inviting me. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.